0: Section 14 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain. Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by S.S. Kim, Seoul, South Korea. A History of the Inquisition of Spain. Volume 4 by Henry Charles Lee. Book 8, Chapter 5 Spheres of Action mysticism part fourteen fray eusebio would have fared better in spain where there was a growing tendency to regard the accused as a subject to delusion when there was no conscious imposture and no teaching of dangerous mysticism delusion was recognized at an early period but the first case which i have met in which it formed the basis of prosecution occurs in the barcelona tribunal which in 1666 reported that it had found the process brought in 1659 against Sor Maria de la Cruz, none of the Convent of La Concepción of Tortosa, por Ilusa, which have never been concluded. In 1694, Don Francisco de las Cuevas y Rojas of Madrid was sentenced by the Toledo tribunal as an iluso passivo to reprimand absolution at cautelam, retractation of certain propositions, abstentation from spiritual matters, and a year's reclusion, during which a calificador would teach him the safest method of the prayer, while all his writings were to be suppressed. The same year, a beata named Maria de la Paz, as Ilusa, was required merely to abjure the levy, to be severely reprimanded and to be handed over to a calificador for instruction. So, in 1716, Don Eugenio Aguada de Lara, a cura of Aljeta, was sentenced by the same tribunal for suspicion of illusion in the direction of Beata, to Abjio de Levi, with reprimand and prohibition of further communication with her, while he was to abstain from the direction of the source as far as compatible with his priestly functions the beata his accomplice agustina salgado was regarded as more reprehensible for besides being illusa she was held guilty of false revelations she objured levi with perpetual exile from aljete and reclusion in a hospital for two years for instruction even this moderation increased with time in 1785 the valencia tribunal suspended the case and sent to an insane hospital esperanza bueno of puig popularly known as la santa denounced for pretended revelation and asserting that she could absolve from sin the same tendency appears in the case of maria rivero of valladolid in eighteen seventeen whom the suprema characterized as erroneously and presumptuously believing herself to be adorned with revelations and special graces she was ordered to place herself unreservedly under the guidance of a spiritual director, with the warning that otherwise she would be treated with judicial rigor, while the director was instructed to disillusion her and to call in medical advice as to her sanity, which was doubtful. Although the Inquisition was thus growing rationalistic in its treatment of these cases, it was impossible to eradicate popular credulity with its accompanying temptation to exploitation. In the last case before the Cordoba Tribunal, it ordered July 9, 1818, the incarceration in the secret prison as an illusor of the Beata Francisca de Paula Caballero y Garida of Lucena, while her sister Maria Dominga Caballero was confined in the Caseles Medias and two curas of Lucena. Joaquin de burgos and Jose barranco was recluded in a convent without communication with each other the beata performed miracles and had revelations which seem to have found the credence among a circle of disciples for when after full investigation the suprema on july fifth eighteen nineteen ordered the prosecution of four prisoners it directed proceedings to be commenced against seven other parties Including clerics and laymen of both sexes, fortunately for this group of illusers, the Revolution of 1820 came to put an end to all proceedings. And when the Cordova Tribunal was suppressed, the only inmates found in its prison were two beatas of Lucena. While the Inquisition was thus merciful toward those whom it considered to be merely deluded in claiming spiritual graces. It grew to be severe with those who traded on popular credulity. That credulity was so universal and so boundless that the profession of Beata Revelandera was an easy and profitable one. The people were eager to be deceived. No fiction was too gross to find ready credence, and the believers invented the miracles which they ascribed to the object of their reverence. The punishment of the impostor and the exposure of the fraud failed to repress either belief or imposition and the land in time was overrun by a horde of those practitioners mostly female it was a spiritual pestilence of the most degrading character shared by all classes with the extenuating circumstances that some of the boldest cases of the imposture enjoyed the approbation of the holy see the inquisition did good work in its ceaseless efforts to repress this prostitution of mysticism a work which no other tribunal could venture to attempt if it found the suppression impossible at least it checked the development which at one time threatened to render the popular religion of spain a matter of hysterics in its inception there was some hesitation as to the treatment of these speculators on the credulity of the people when the beata of piedraita was allowed to continue her career she naturally had imitators in 1525 Alonso de mariana a toledan inquisitor on a visitation of his district had his attention called to doa juana maldonado of guadalajara widow of the alcaide of la vega de la montaña she was arrested and presented written statements or confessions of her dreams and visions of the virgin and christ saint john the evangelist and saint bonat the proceedings were informal and in an audience march twenty seventh at alcala de anares after publication of the evidence she admitted its truth stating that she had talked about her visions in order to obtain some aid in her poverty and she begged for mercy and penance there was evidently no desire to treat her harshly or to regard her as an impostor for she is spoken of as an illusa or sonadera dreamer and she was required only to fast on five fridays and saturdays in honour of christ and the virgin with fifteen parters and abys each day to keep her house as a prison until released by the tribunal after which on six saturdays she was to visit the church of the virgin outside of the town a century later she would have fared much worse the exposure in fifteen forty three of a more accomplished practitioner magdalena de la cruz removed any further hesitation in dealing with such cases she had long been the wonder of spain and even of christendom tempest tossed mariners would invoke her intercession when she would appear to them and the storm would subside the noblest ladies when nearing confinement would send the laete to be blessed by her as did the empress isabel before the birth of philip II. when in fifteen thirty five charles V was starting from barcelona for the expedition to tunis she sent his banner to cordova that she might bestow on it her blessing cardinal manrique the inquisitor general and giovanni di regio the papal nuncio made pilgrimages to her and the Pope sent to ask her prayers for the Christian Republic. It is true that Ignatius Loyola was incredulous and in 1541 severely reproved Martin de la Santa Cruz, who endeavored to win him over for accepting exterior signs without seeking for the true ones. The venerable Juan de Avila was also skeptical, and when he was in Cordova, he was discreetly denied access to her when in 1504 at the age of seventeen she entered the franciscan convent of santa isabel de los angeles of cordova she was already regarded as a vessel overflowing with divine grace a belief confirmed by a series of ecstasies trances visions revelations and miracles space is lacking to recount the various series of marvels many of which do infinite credit to her imaginative invention while some of them required confederates who seemed not to have been lacking in view of the benefit to the convent accruing from its containing so saintly person elected prioress in 1533 she retained the position until 1542 and during this time she devoted to it the largest stream of offerings which poured in on her defeated for re-election in 1542 she no longer made this use of a fund and the successful faction denounced her to the guardian and the provincial as an impostor but the credit of the order was at stake and they were silenced she was not destined however to adorn the calendar of mystic saints for in fifteen forty three she fell dangerously sick and was one to prepare for death under this pressure she made a full confession ascribing her deceit to a demoniacal possession she recovered and the inquisition seized her the trial lasted until may third fifteen forty six an immense body of testimony being taken corroborative of a confession which was skillfully framed to throw the blame on the demons balban and paturio in short, she had commenced as a mystic, had been unable to resist the temptation of accepting the miracles thrust upon her by a popular superstition. She had stimulated this with a fraud, and finally sought extenuation by alleging demonic influence. An immense crowd attended the altar held May third, fifteen forty six, when the reading of her sentence con meritus occupied from six a m to four p m while she sat on the staging with a gag in her mouth, a halter around her neck and a lighted candle in her hand. Her sentence was moderate, perpetual reclusion in a convent without active or passive voice, and occupying the last place in choir, refectory and chapter together with some spiritual penances. She was relegated to the convent of Santa Clara at Anduja, where she lived an exemplary life and at her death in fifteen sixty it was piously hoped that her sins were expiated had human reason any share in these beliefs such an exposure would have put an end to the industry of beatas but the popular appetite for the marvellous was insatiable and there were abundant practitioners ready to dare the attendant risk for the accompanying glory and profit everywhere there were women accomplished in these arts and skilled in impressing their neighbors with their revelations and prophecies every town and almost every hamlet had its local saint, who was regarded with intense veneration and assured of abundant livelihood all branches of supernatural was exploited some could predict the future others had prophetic dreams or could expound those of their devotees others could release souls from purgatory others could perform curative miracles popular faith in this captive spirit was boundless and innumerable shepherds of both sexes fattened upon it the people might well be credulous when they but follow the example of those highest in church and state magdalena de la cruz had worthy imitator in this dominican madre maria de la visitacion of the convent of Anunciada of lisbon whose intimate relations with christ began at the age of sixteen in fifteen seventy two about fifteen eighty christ crucified appeared to her when a ray of fire from his breast pierced her left side leaving a wound which on fridays distilled drops of blood with intense pain in 1583, she was elected prioress, and in 1584, in another vision of Christ crucified, rays of fire from his hands and feet pierced hers and thus complete the stigmata. No time was lost by the Dominican provincial, Antonio de la Cerda, in spreading the news of this, in a statement dated March fourteenth, fifteen 1584, and sent to Rome to be submitted to Gregory XIII. It was corroborated by the signatures of several frailes, among which is the honoured name of the great mystic Luis de Granada. The provincial followed this, March thirtieth, with another letter to Rome stating that the impression produced had been so great that many gentlemen had been induced to abandon the world and enter the order, and even there three moors came to look upon Thor Maria whose appearance had so impressed them that they sought baptism on the spot, which he added two miraculous cures effected through the articles touched by her. Sor Maria's fame penetrated through Christendom and even, we are told, to the Indies. Gregory the Thirteenth was duly impressed and wrote to her urging to persevere without faltering in the path which she had entered. She might have continued to do so with the reputation of a saint, if she had abstained from politics unluckily she allowed herself to be drawn into a movement to throw off the spanish yoke and the authorities who had been content to allow her to acquire influence found it necessary to expose her when that influence threatened to be potent on the side of rebellion the Anunciada was not without internal jealousies which facilitated the obtaining information justifying investigation a commission was appointed consisting of archbishop of lisbon and braga the bishop of guarda the dominican provincial the inquisitors of lisbon and dr pablo alfonso of the royal council assembling in the convent they took the testimony of many of nuns that sor maria's sanctity was feigned and her stigmata was painted she was then brought before them and sworn when she persisted in spite of threats and adjuration in the story of the stigmata and of her communication with christ the next day hot water and soap were called for she protested and pretended to suffer extreme agony but a vigorous application of the detergents to the palms of her hands caused the wounds to disappear when she threw herself at the feet of her judges and begged for mercy at the subsequent audience, she gave a detailed explanation of the devices by which she had deceived the faithful, how she managed the apparent elevation from the ground, and the divine lights suffused around her, and the clothes stained with blood from her side. The severity of sentence rendered December sixth, fifteen 1588, shows how much greater than mere sacrilegious imposture was the offense of her meddling with politics. She was recluded for a life in a convent of a different order from her own for a year she was to be whipped every Monday and Friday for the space of a miserere in the refectory. She was to take her meals on the floor. What she left was to be cast out, and at the end of the meal, she was to lie in the doorway and be trampled on by the sisters of their exit. She was to observe a perpetual fast. she was incapacitated from holding office she was always to be last and was to hold converse with none without permission of the abbess. she was not to wear a veil on wednesdays and fridays she was to have only bread and water and whenever the nuns assembled in the refectory she was to recite her crimes in an audible voice in this living death she is said to have performed a cruel penance with such patience and humility that she became saintly in reality it is not improbable that she may have been from the beginning a tool in designing hands a contemporary relates that even before the exposure he wrote to fray alberto de Aguajo in lisbon asking whether he should go thither to consult her on a case of conscience and was told in reply that there was nothing wonderful about her except the goodness of god in granting her such graces for she was as simple as child of six she was however a rich source of income for the portuguese in the indies used to send the gold and diamonds and pearls to purchase her intercession with god even her condemnation did not wholly disabuse her dupes four years later a certain martin de ayala persecuted in fifteen ninety two for revelations and imposture claimed to have a spiritual communication with her and foretold direful things about the conquest of Spain by foreigners when a cave in Toledo would be the only place where the few elect could find safety. He had a colleague Don Guen de Cazans who was likewise persecuted End of section fourteen